Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smizer de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paseo Podcast. Keep up with us at Paseo Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We also post the interview portions of our episodes on our YouTube channel. Just type in Paseo Podcast and we'll pop right up. While you're there, like our videos and subscribe to our channel. It really makes a difference. Uh, if you want to follow me, I'm at JS De Leon on Twitter. That's J-S-D-E-L-E-O-N. If you want to pitch a story, you can reach out to us via our website, paseomedia.org. Now, that clip you just heard at the top of the show was from actress, dancer, singer, and EGOT winner. That means that person has won an Emmy, a, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony Award. This person has over 70 years of experience in the entertainment industry. This person is, of course, Rita Moreno. I saw that clip for the first time after Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez posted it. Uh, he's the creator of La Borinquena. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to read that graphic novel, um, he actually tweeted that uh, video the other day. So I really dug it. I wanted to include it. Uh, didn't really have a spot for it. So I put it at the top of the show. Uh, if you're actually, you know what? No, come to think of it. If you're interested, there's going to be a documentary on Rita's life coming up in June. I believe it's June 18th. It's called uh, Rita Moreno, just a girl who decided to go for it. Um, actually, I had that right here on my notes and I totally forgot to mention that. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's coming up soon. Um, I plan to check it out. Maybe I'll do a review on it in a future episode, but maybe I'll have some friends over and we can kind of talk about our feelings about the movie, if we thought it was good or not. Uh, maybe share some trivia. Uh, not really sure yet. I, I really don't know. But um, actually, you could probably help me out if you think we should do an episode on it. Uh, this is a good little call to action, good little uh, CD, CTA. Um, help me decide. Help us decide. Uh, shoot us an email or let us know on our socials if you'd like to hear an episode where myself and some friends would review the upcoming uh, Rita Moreno documentary coming up in June. But speaking of entertainment and just going for it, for this week's episode, Melissa Dupre joins the show. She's a black Puerto Rican performer, storyteller, and comic. She's been on shows such as Empire and Chicago PD and in films like the recently released Cherry on Apple TV. She's also had success on stage with shows like Sushi Frito and currently has a recurring role on Grey's Anatomy as Dr. Sarah Ortiz. Uh, so we're going to talk to Melissa about her experience on Grey's Anatomy, projects she's worked on, and what other projects she has in store for the future, how her life as a live performer was impacted by the pandemic, and a few other things. So uh, before we get into the interview, let's uh, cover off on some news. Just have a couple of pieces of news I want to share with y'all, two, three pieces of news, I should say. Um, it's a longer episode, so I'm trimming this down. So here are the, the quick hits for you all. The Census Bureau announced the 2020 count this week, and notably, Puerto Rico's population fell 11.8% to 3,285,874 million. I should also preface this that if you're not a data nerd like me, 
Uh, you're probably not going to enjoy this little news nugget because I'm going to share a lot of numbers. Um, but like I said, uh, Puerto Rico's population, the 2020 census reflects that there has been an 11.8% decrease in the population uh, to just over 3,280,000. Um, so to put that into perspective, for the 2010 census, Puerto Rico's population was at 3,725,789, which was lower than the 2000 census, where La Isla's population was at 3,808,610. That year marks the most recent time in history. The year 2000, the 2000 census, marks the most recent time in history where Puerto Rico's population actually grew because the 1990 census had PR with a lower population of 3,522,037. If you want to see these numbers like all together, all at once, uh, we actually shared a graphic that uh, has numbers by decades going back to 1990 and that uh, percentage decrease number of 11.8%. Um, really liked um, kind of seeing those all together. So we created a graphic, put it up on our Twitter and Facebook. Um, so definitely go check that out if you haven't seen it already. Speaking of our Twitter and Facebook, we also shared on our social media the news from Floriqua. Uh, they did a, a, a video uh, kind of explaining some of the proposed budget cuts that are being asked of the University of Puerto Rico. Uh, to kind of, so to kind of give you a high-level view, the Financial Oversight Board of Puerto Rico is asking the University of Puerto Rico for a $94 million budget cut, bringing its total budget, if this goes through, to 407 million dollars now i know that might sound like a lot of money but for context the university has already experienced dramatic cuts to its budget on a seemingly yearly basis in fact over the past four years alone it has had to cut its budget by 367 million dollars let that sink in for a second if this proposed this current proposed budget cut goes through you're seeing uh, over 50 percent slash of a budget for a public university. That is wild. Why anyone would think that funding education is a good idea is beyond me. I seriously, seriously, seriously wonder and worry about that person's priorities or that organization's priorities uh, or that governing body's priorities. Uh, Floriqua interviewed a student at the University of Puerto Rico, Marina Rodriguez, and she shared how these cuts would affect the university's more than 45,000 students and 11 campuses. Here's what she had to say. Uno de los planteamientos, ¿verdad? Y una de las quejas que tiene la comunidad estudiantil es que a pesar de que se nos ha aumentado los costos de estudio, los costos al crédito y todo eso, este, eso ha conllevado que no haya una mejora en servicio. Eso no sucede al revés, al revés, cada vez los vemos empobreciéndose más. So to summarize what she was saying, uh, if if you didn't understand the Spanish, uh, basically she's saying, and I think this is a really good point on behalf of the student community, but that one of the big complaints of the student community is that the tuition is rising, yet uh, the rise in tuition has not led to an improvement of services. Uh, so if you're paying for if you're paying more for something, you would expect to get more back, right? I think that that's common sense. So just think about the effects of this for a second. So these cuts go through with the University of Puerto Rico. That would make it harder to be able to hire new teachers. In fact, I would imagine with the past four years of cuts, it's relatively impossible to hire new teachers. Same thing goes for uh, tuition increasing, further putting a stressor on the lives of students and their families. And the student body would even decrease. In fact, it already has. I mean, it, this is, you can't expect people 
to just pull money out of wherever. School's already expensive, and now you're asking people to pay more for it? It's just mind-boggling. Again, defunding education makes no sense. Makes no sense. All this will do is further increase the class gap and make it harder for working class people to afford an education. And that just, that just ain't right. There's a lot more layers to this. So I'm gonna make it a goal to find someone in the know on this story who can kind of take the deeper dive uh, with me uh, on a future episode. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, last bit of news, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, one of our new partners is the Chicago Independent Media Alliance. You'll be hearing me bring them, bring them up um, pretty regularly in future episodes. So just putting that all on your radars. Um, we actually have a fundraiser that's coming up pretty soon. So uh, we'll be sharing more information on that in the coming, in the coming weeks. Um, but basically, uh, you'll have a method of not only donating to the podcast directly, but you'll have an opportunity to support other independent media outlets or the independent media landscape in Chicago in general. So again, I'll share more details on that in the coming weeks. Now, let's jump into the interview with Melissa Dupre. Bienvenido a todos. It is Wednesday, April 14th, but that doesn't really matter because it's a podcast. You're listening to this whenever, wherever you are. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you. You'll notice we have a special co-host uh, with us today. You might have uh, heard her, seen her in a previous episode that we did with Andrew Padilla. Uh, he's from New York. We talked a little bit about his research, uh, a few other things, but definitely go back and listen to that episode. Uh, that's not really important right now, but most importantly, we got Ambar with us today. So Ambar Colon, she uh, does a little bit of our publicist work if you aren't familiar with her. Uh, so if we're trying to get guests on the show, she is the go-to person. So Ambar, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. We have Melissa Dupre on the show. She is a black Puerto Rican performer, storyteller, and comic. And most importantly, she hails from Chicago. So we're really excited to have her on the show today. We've actually been trying to get her on for a minute now, but she's so talented, so busy. Uh, don't blame so... me. <laughs> don't, bl don't blame me. Uh, Melissa, come here. I'll throw her under the bus. No, but in all seriousness, super happy to have you on, Melissa. Um, as we start with all of our guests, what should our audience know about you? Hola, hola, hola. My name is Melissa Dupre. She, her queen is my pronouns. Um, I'm a Pisces, Moon, Leo, Rising, Aries, Sun sign. So you know a lot about me right there. I have been an actor, performer, um, a professional actor out of Chicago for about a decade. I've been seen on The Shy, Chicago PD, Empire, The Residence, and I'm currently a recurring character playing the newest intern, intern Sara Ortiz on Grey's Anatomy every Thursday on ABC. Well, that's a big deal being on Grey's Anatomy. I've seen you on Chicago PD. I mean, you played doctors, you played detectives, you played like yes. assistants. <laughs> I mean, like you, you've done it all. Um, but uh, before we kind of get into some of the projects you're working on, uh, let's back up to your roots. What part of Puerto Rico is your family from? Both my parents are from Puerto Rico. My mother was born in Barceloneta. My father was born in Arecibo, and those two towns are right next to each other. So um, they're very, very close. My my grandmother still has her house in Barceloneta, and I've been going back and forth to Puerto Rico since I was a child with her. And we also have very deep roots in Humble Park. Uh, my grandmother, who owns a home in Ukrainian village, did a lot of the organizing and establishing work for 
familial um, community organizations that helped grow uh, what we now know to be Humble Park, knowing that the Puerto Rican migration around Chicago started around in Lakeview and then got um, down to Madison and then pushed further and further west to where we know it now. And so she was part of that. And she was also part of the first wave of getting Puerto Ricans registered to vote under the first daily administration. And so um, my family does have a lot of roots there. And on the Dupre side, um, also having a lot of roots in the Chicago Board of Education, my uncle Dupre, a lot of people tell me, oh, you're Francisco's daughter. No, my dad is a twin. Francisco is his twin. And so I look just like my uncle Francisco My fr uh, and Francisco ran for alderman back in the 70s, 80s. And he was part of the Barreto Boys Club, which is now the the the, um, the youth organization right on um, on was that Washington and, and division. So, um, you know, lots of lots of history, lots of legacy in Humboldt Park specifically. And I am a playwright. I was um, I, I was part of Teatro Luna's original ensemble and Teatro Luna was originated by Tanya Serracho, who is the showrunner for Vida on Showtime and Koya Paz, who is the uh, current dean of theater in DePaul. So both of those uh, incredible, incredible femmes created a Pan Latina theater company where the diaspora of Latinas at the time, and this was Pan Latina, specifically focusing on women, specifically focusing on trans um, women, we were telling those stories. And so after I graduated from University of Houston with my theater degree, I came back to Chicago to tell real authentic stories and deconstruct um, a lot of what I've learned. So that way I can tell stories on stage. And then that really sparked my solo career and my solo career catapulted because community really wanted to lift this particular narrative. And all of it is very sex positive, body positive, black centered, Latina centered, uh, Puerto Rican centered, progressive, radical, unapologetic existence. And so that's also kind of funny. And I also do stand up comedy. Uh, so I've been doing stand up comedy in Zany's Laugh Factory uh, with the Mikey O comedy shows for many, many years. So pretty much everything you can do in Chicago, I've probably done artistically. <laughs> It is such a small world, too, because we were talking about before you hopped on this call, you know, we've seen each other in the same circles. We actually were a part of that group in D.C. that was advocating mm -hmm. for a bill, among other things um, mm -hmm. that, that were in the bill were things like parity for people on the island. Yeah. So they're actually and still and in. still trying to get uh, relief funds released to um, uh, Puerto Rico from Hurricane Maria. Exactamente. So, and we've seen you at Puerto Rican agenda meetings. Uh, I think the first time I saw you, uh, we were doing introductions at the Puerto Rican agenda meeting, and you said uh, Melissa Dupre from the Humble Park Dupres, and I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to know this woman! Like, <laughs> that's like the greatest intro ever. That um, that is my intro everywhere, whether or not yeah. I'm like in any space. Melissa Dupre of the Humble Park Dupres. Yeah. The Humble Park Dupres aren't a thing. Yeah. I have made it. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. But um, I, you know, my, my uncle Bones and my cousin um, Israel, hmm. they're kind of like the mayors of Chicago. You, if you ran if you ran over somebody on a bicycle, it was probably a relative of mine. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm sorry, and I'm also you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> no, appreciate it. No, no. I, I like I said, I, I loved the intro. It was awesome. Um, and just hearing you even mention people like Goya. Like I used to work at DePaul University. We actually. Uh, partnered here or there on a um, uh, student, Latinx student, um, like art 
art week. It was called Somos, yes. so we got different students to yes. put art uh, pieces together that were meaningful to their culture. So it was really cool. So I didn't, I did not know that's that. That's great. You had that we are literally one degree outside of each right? other, I'm but saying. connected within. I'm, I'm sorry. Saying. I'm saying it's probably because you're a Virgo that I'm like just not like demagnetized. <laughs> uh, spoken like an Aries. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ambie, I know you had a question. I don't want to take up all the all the wind here. For sure. What made you decide to become an actor? Um, the spirit. I really caught the spirit of acting as a child. My first play, I was five years old, and my my tia um, was the president of the Puerto Rican Forum, uh, which was an uh, an organization back in the early 90s that was still trying to grapple with getting funds from the city for senior citizens. And she created Nuestra Familia Family Focus. She, she co-developed that through the National Puerto Rican Forum. And in doing a lot of like community programming, she decided to put out a play for the senior citizens homes. And the play was called Jesus Christ Was Born a Homeless Child. And it was like an urban retelling of the nativity story where these homeless children in an alley get to watch Mary give birth to Jesus. <laughs> And because Jesus is a homeless child, it makes them feel better about being homeless. Um, and I played one of the homeless kids and I was just like, you know, my aunt was like, you're so charismatic, you know, you you really love this. And um, and also, be, you know, growing up in Humble Park, you always see um, performances. Everything is about ritual. Everything is about performance. And I always wanted, you know, dancing since I was a little kid. So performance was always a thing, never really knowing like what to do. Um, singing, dancing, acting, like I've done all of it. But um, I, I would say that I was always interested in drama, always interested in theater, always interested in storytelling. It wasn't until college and I had been doing theater in, in middle school, high school. Um, in college, I was pre-med, I was studying nuclear medicine. <laughs> And I was at Rice University, which is the Harvard of the South. And in my first semester, I was like, I better get out of this before it's too late. And I, I switched my majors and I decided to be a full-time artist and really pursue theater and performance full-time. And so I had always known I loved this, but I didn't make the commitment to say, this is what I want to do until college. Hmm. I feel like at least, especially for our generation, you might have parents that were like, don't you want to be a doctor or like president. a lawyer, president? Yeah, why, why just stop at doctor or lawyer, president? Um, you know, what did your family say when you said, hey, you know, I want to go into the performing arts? Well, I was well on my way to becoming an attorney. I had been working in law firms since I was 15 years old. So I had, you know, when I made the transition into doing art full time, I already had 15 years. And I was a senior paralegal at an international law firm downtown in Chicago making OK money. It wasn't great. Um, but I got an opportunity from the Goodman Theater to make my dreams professional and realized uh, everything else was like I was doing theater after work and on weekends and so people were like well that's cute to do um they they absolutely did not think I was making a career out of it but everything I was leading up to was absolutely making something out of it I had I had done three solo shows up until that point Sex Amity Sushi Frito and um the good men came and it was a well-paying opportunity. It was paying almost $1,000 a week, and it required me to have a Monday through Friday 
eight to five at the Goodman Theater kind of job. And I called I called three of my family members, my mother, my father and my grandma. And I said, this is it. Everything that I've been working towards is this right now. I'm I'm going to do this full time. I'm going to be an artist. This is the point where it's serious. Will you support my dreams if I need help? I'm about to lose my job. I'm about to, you know, get fired or quit. Will you support me? Will you will you do what you can? Um, and they all said yes at that point. So it was it was then when they finally were like, oh, she's doing this. Just to touch on your Grey's character, what is different um, about working on Grey's Anatomy versus other projects that you've worked on previously? First of all, Grey's Anatomy is at this point um, part of the American TV canon. It's been around for 17 years. It's a long-standing network television show. Ellen Pompeo um, made history in making sure that she was fighting for women's equal pay by um, really grappling with networks and, and deciding to put her foot down and say, like, I know my worth and I know what the show means to the country. I know what it means to television. And she's now like the highest paid woman on network television. She made history in that. And so um, this show means so much. So the, I think part of the biggest difference on anything that I've ever worked on, Empire was amazing. I, I came on the last season, the last leg of it. I could potentially be on the last leg of this show as well, but it means so much to me. This was a show that I watched since day one with my mother. We made tradition, we made culture around it. Um, we made a ritual around it. And when I, when my mother transitioned four years ago, I stopped watching it. I just couldn't. And then out of nowhere, literally I've never, and I've been part of the ABC family since 2014 um, as, as a, as a new, new talent showcase runner. I had never gotten any, any invitation to audition. I got an invitation to audition on a Wednesday and two days later, I didn't even test. I didn't get a call back. I didn't get any notice. I got a call that said I got it. And I had to pack my car the next morning and drive to LA so that way I can make it by Monday for COVID testing. And the whole drive, the whole way, I was just like, this is a miracle. It's, there's, it, this just doesn't even happen that way. And we're in a pandemic. It doesn't, you usually test, you screen test, you call back, you have a director session, you might have a chemistry read. I got it. And that was just so insane to me. That hadn't happened. Empire, I walked into a director session. It was a one line, one day thing that I ended up saying, fuck it. This is the last, this is the last season. Um, I'll just do what I want. And I turned the character into a Spanish speaking person and they loved it so much. They made it reoccurring. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't do that with Grays. I played it very safe. And every time I'm there, I'm just like, I cannot believe I'm here. I cannot believe I'm sitting next to Ellen Pompeo telling me how much she drinks broth in the morning. And that's it. You know, like, <laughs> um, there are people that I've seen since day one there. Uh, the, the Debbie Allen took over and is the executive director. And Debbie Allen was like the reason I became an artist watching fame as a young child one day. And so like to even go up to Debbie Allen and be like, thank you to go up to Chandra Wilson while she's doing makeup right next to me and be like, your Emmy speech made me okay with my body and fight for, my own representation like this shit is wild every day i pinch myself like am, am i here does is this is this a thing and these people are talking to me they're nice <laughs> like, because 
obviously they have a history, a 17 year long history of, you know, bringing representation to the screen. Mm -hmm. um, what is it like being Sara Ortiz um, on television? Like what, can you tell us a little bit about her? I know enough from like talking about, talking to you previously, um, yeah. the Chicago Sun-Times article that I did, um, but obviously there's been more episodes and there's been more- Catch the editorial if you get a chance. She's <laughs> <laughs> a killer article. Um, yeah, no, thank you for that. I. I wish I knew a little bit more about her. What we know is it, you know, she was matched at Graceland Memorial with her mother. And so we know that her mother was a retired social worker who really wanted to see change um, from a medical standpoint, since we have, we have so little access to the medical industry. And so we know a lot about Sara Ortiz through other characters, through her mother and through this mother-daughter relationship. And what we've seen so far is that um, they don't work together very often. Um, Sara is really trying to find her own way. She's trying to find her own footing. She's second guesses. She messes up. And, and that's very much like me. Like I will be messing up left and right, but I will be doing my best to, to show up and work hard and uh, be present and ask questions. And so Sara was specifically written as an Afro-Latina character. The breakdown said that. Um, but what I love about the show is that they're not, they will allow Lisa Vidal, who plays my mother and myself, to add our own um, little Puerto Rican idiosyncrasies. Like, you know, she'll say mama and I'll say Sara. And, and we will will add hints and elements of the essence of our existence, but they don't specifically need to write through a lens of a Puerto Rican stereotype or trope, we just are existing as interns. And then we add on to it. So it's a very humanizing um, way of representing Blackness, representing Black women, representing mother daughter. So we're just existing. Um, I'm really, I'm actually really excited about this week's episode. This week's episode does for a Native American character what I hope the show does for that for the Afro-Latina diaspora. It's very specifically talking about um, indigenous communities, how they were directly affected by COVID-19. And so the show does take a lot of care and time to dive into ethno-specific work. Um, I think with us, they're just allowing us to be doctors for this moment. You're not the only Boricua on the show. So that's like a really cool nugget of, of information that I, I wasn't aware of. You're, but you're Lisa Vidal. Go ahead. Lisa Vidal. Lisa Vidal, who plays, we're, we're two Afro-Latinas. Yeah. However, the episode that was just aired, we like, I don't know, set a record for having four Puerto Rican women in one scene. Mm -hmm. Um, so we that's the that's the picture we posted up. Angela Angela Alvarado was in the movie Salsa. She's like a prolific actor and she's been in so many Latino movies. Um, it was all of us in one room and we we put up a flag on the phone and be like, we take this we take this representation everywhere because it's so important. Lisa Vidal and Angela Alvarado and um, her sister, Christina Vidal, like these women have had 20, 30 year careers and I'm in the same recurring position as them. We have to recognize that th there have been actors like this before us that have literally pushed the envelope as much as they can. And then they, they, they have had to eat shit mm -hmm. and to just to get to this point. 
and for 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 people to see them beyond the prostitute beyond the drug addict beyond the 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 crazy latina that's gonna do brujeria on you um they've played that all and i owe them thanks i i say thank you to them every time i see them you know like your work is is how i got here you know yeah no, I, I, and I think it's important to recognize those that help pave, pave the way for us uh, in the present. Mm -hmm. um, and ideally, we all get a chance to pay that forward for the generation that comes after us, right? Um, yes. Speaking of people that have created a path forward for us, you mentioned your mother earlier. And um, I know you were matched at, in the show, Sarah Ortiz is matched at Grace Lone Memorial at the same time as her mother. Um, mm -hmm. so you'd mentioned that you used to watch this with your mom. I mean, what does it mean for you now to be a part of a mother daughter power duo on the show? Thank you, uh, for recognizing that I am fortunate that I have uh, a really beautiful community of mothers in my life. And I make sure that I'm also surrounding myself with maternal energy because a physical mother is not, it's not just the one who raises you. Like we need mothering. And um, Lisa, really quickly, we, we had dinner, we got to know each other. We had a whole conversation about Afro-Latina, like she would use a term, I would say black, like she probably wouldn't say black. Um, and she also was telling me about like how, you know, how other people in the industry, like they wanna have a unifying Latina, a unifying Latinos Latinx conversation, not a, a, um, a divisive one that's like, oh no, I'm black and I'm black. And I'm like, we had we already like had community and we shared a lot and we got close very quickly. And, and I feel like she is also one of the communities of women that I hold dear. And part of what I really wanna do in my own work is, is center women. So I think that um, having her play my mom is a really beautiful opportunity to bring those conversations forward, to show unity within generations as well. Like, she's also not that much older than me. I like think a lot of people forget that I'm almost 40, <laughs> like, you know, and she, she's mid 40s, but I like play a 20 year old. So that she laughs all the time because she's like, you know, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, she's not. Um, she looks fabulous too, but I, I, I am fortunate that every time I tell the story about my mom, you know, somebody hugs me, somebody brings me dear, you know, mm -hmm. they bring me into their life. And I'm also always surrounded by amazing mothers. Shout out to my second mom, Elida Dupre, who's really like a rock in my life. So I don't ever feel too far away from getting parented. Yeah. She'll slap me in my, she'll slap me on my butt if I'm misstepping or if I'm like doing too much. No, I, it's important to have that those support systems. Um, I mean, throughout, I think I think throughout the entirety of our lives, I think you always need that. You need that human connection. Um, and I think the pandemic has kind of shifted the way we look at relationships and how we stay connected with one another. Um, Seamless segues, Josh. Hey, Seamless segue. I appreciate it. Only the best of the best Yo. on the Paseo podcast. <laughs> Yo, uh, that transition was smoother uh, than butter. <laughs> Wow. Uh, well, let me finish the transition then. No, 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 no. <laughs> nope, interrupted because I already, I was like, wait, I'm in a transition. Segway. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, just like your character, uh, she's an Afro-Latina intern at this hospital. Um, yes. Trained, trained to be a doctor, is a doctor, ends up starting her career 
on Grey's mm-hmm. Anatomy at this hospital because of what was needed when the pandemic mm-hmm. hit. We need more. We need more. We need more people power, right? So, yeah. shifting from your time on screen to your time now off screen, thinking more about your on stage work. You know, as a live performer yourself, how do you feel the pandemic has affected the performing arts? It was devastating. Um, we have barely survived because we were barely breaking even to begin with. And I think that was a model that we needed to actually start to deconstruct. And it took a pandemic to make us realize it's like, oh, you now realize <laughs> that only 30% of your box office comes from ticket sales. Um, you now realizing that everything that we were doing was just a hair, just a thread away from becoming bankrupt. Like this pandemic shut everything down and it forced a lot of uh, the gig economy, like, you know, actors are gig workers, but we were deemed as non-essential, but yet, you know, artists are non-essential, but what are you watching during the pandemic? What are you reading in the pandemic? What are you listening to in a pandemic? Yep. You know, how, how have we been able to put artists to the wayside when literally everything that you're doing to survive is because of an artist in your life somehow, you know, uh, the music is healing, the theater is healing, the movies, you've been binging movies, you know, this whole time, how? So because a creator is gonna create no matter what, uh, me personally, I took it as a blessing. I took it as a blessing because the gig economy puts us in, it's, it's still, Um, models a capitalist society where it wants to commodify your art. It will take your body as long as you're giving your body. It will take your energy as long as it's taking your energy. And I looked at the first two or three months as a, as a blessing of forced stillness, because if not like artists, most artists are working two or three jobs to survive in Chicago. And that just doesn't give us the time to breathe, heal, even manifest and create new art rest you know we don't get an opportunity to dream new dreams and and dream shit that we want to create you know the rest state is a dreamscape that a lot of us aren't afforded so um even grief came up differently in the pandemic for me and i had just finished a play called good grief and in october october 2019 the pandemic hit three months later and i was still not recovered from that show and in light of the pandemic and the social isolation and the depression and, um, you know, everybody's journey with mental wellness, I decided to continue my art journey with Good Grief by providing open dialogues on social media um, with mental wellness practitioners of color. And so, in you know, that, that was part of um, the activism that I was doing. That was part of what the show represented. So that's how I was able to extend that art it, during the pandemic is like just hosting space. And it's it's a Facebook page. It's a Facebook page that, you know, we meet on Zoom and then I went live on Zoom. So like you think about like what the expenses are to make your art. I, I, I decided like, what, what are the what are the tools that we have at our disposal? We had all this internet, right? Like TikTok became a thing. Zoom decided to like trade publicly and make all this money on membership. And so, you know, we we are, if nothing but creatures of adaptation and we as creators still created. So I, I created that dialogue space of Thursday therapy. And every Thursday I had a new interview, a new dialogue with a mental wellness practitioner of color. People got to know about cupping, Reiki, acupuncture, therapy, psychotherapy, 
meditation, um, brujería, santería, uh, espiritismo, tarot cards, you name it, it's out there. Tinctrics, herbs, um, naturopathy, um, you know, uh, uh, chiropractic care, all kinds of holistic wellness that we can try to incorporate in our lives in, a, in a, an accessible way. Because oftentimes it's people like, I don't have money, I don't have time, I'm not white. Um, <laughs> those are like most of the, the three tab, de deconstructing the taboos around wellness. And so that was what I was really like pushing for. And then um, my singleness kind of got to me a couple months later. And so I was just like, you know, I, I had issues with the Virgo and I was like, how do I, how do I like relieve myself of this pain? And I was like, oh, well, you know, normally they say you won't get over him until you get under someone else. And so I'm like, you can't do that. It's a pandemic. I can't just go fuck my way to healing and I shouldn't be doing that anyway. And so shout out to the people that are in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. We're, we're, we're together alone. Um, so I made a show of, about trying to close the gap on the social isolation and saying you can still get connection even if we're not outside. And so 50 Blind Dates with Melissa Dupre was born in my living room where I had a one hour Zoom call, a Zoom date. And then through the magic of editing, and producers, we made a 15 minute episode of a one hour date complete with confessions. So it was like, it was like a bachelorette meets Real Housewives meets blind, Love is Blind um, because my friends were hooking me up. I, I would just open up my computer at 6 p.m. every day and whoever was on the other side, whatever race, whatever gender, that's who I was gonna make a connection with. And the whole point was to find who I would have an awesome date when it reopened. Not love, not who I would date. Like it was to find the perfect date because when we kept saying, when this is all over, when this is all over, when this reopens, the first thing I'm gonna do is this. I'm like, what is the first thing I would do when we can do it safely? And so it was, it was fun. You know, those were the two things that I created in a pandemic. And then Grey's Anatomy hit. So the pandemic really blessed me. I was fortunate to keep creating. I filed unemployment like a lot of people did. Um, and that's how I survived. Just curious in terms of benefits um, during the pandemic in the COVID relief bill uh, mm -hmm. was the only thing that was accessible to you as a performing artist. Uh, just Yo, you would think. You would think that I would have had access to, but you know, as a three arts honoree, I was an honorable mention twice. They had they had us fill out these like grant like applications just to be selected by lottery. Three rounds of that, I didn't win anything. Three rounds of the small business application, I didn't I didn't get granted for it. There were a lot of things that we just couldn't get because everybody was pulling for them at the same time. But you would have thought that something like at least like the three arts that are a proponent of women and POC, like they'd be a little bit more specific and go based off of need. And they were like going off a lottery system. I was like, well, why do you need like applications for a lottery system? You would just pull names. Right. Um, so I thought it was I thought that, that there were some very interesting things that happened in the pandemic that that showed me that there are people that will say no no matter what. And there are people in power that could have said yes to working from home a long time ago, could have said yes to like <laughs> a lot of things that that proved to be beneficial, but some of the benefits and, and accessible funds, I didn't get a lot of them. I've, I survived on my empire savings and unemployment. And that was it. 
any advice for any BIPOC actors out there that, you know, want to see themselves on a TV show like Grey's Anatomy one day or want to get into the, the performing arts in general? Like, you got any mm. advice for any words of wisdom for them? You know, a, a lot of a lot of people ask me for these things. And I think I think the only thing that I could um, really advocate for is for like BIPOC and Alana communities really need to own their own stories. And so I have never waited for work to come to me um, or waited for the right framework of how people see me or waited for the lens to be just right. There's never a just right or there's never a perfect job. I think that you have to really make your own work and make your own narratives so you can have autonomy over your own narratives and you can control that narrative and you can say, this is what I represent. And you're not going to represent the entire people. Not People are not a monolith, right? And so like my story is specific to me. Your story is specific to you. Your humanity exists and it is important and it is worthy to be celebrated and centered uniquely and unapologetically. I think that part of it is also like, you see TikTok stars out there making a name for themselves. They're, you know, if this is something that you wanna do, do it. Don't wait for the opportunity. Don't wait for the job, make your job, make your, make your art, make the thing that you wanna see and be the thing that you wanna be because you know, ultimately somebody else is going to do it and they're probably not going to do it as well, but just because they had the, the empowerment, maybe the money, um, maybe the opportunity to do it, but nothing is going to hold you back from, from doing it and be consistent, be consistent. Don't stop and, and don't stop creating. Like so often the case for me is the job that I get now that I really want is to feed the job that I'm going to get afterwards. So yeah, don't you didn't like Mikey O says this to me and I, I, I recognize it, especially when I'm just like, should I quit? Should I stop? Do I want this? Is it OK to give give back to the ocean what I manifested just because I don't like it or if I don't want it? You have the power to like say, maybe I don't like this anymore. Maybe I don't want this anymore. But Mikey O says this to me. You didn't come this far to come this far. You know, if this is what you really want, keep going, stay consistent, own your story. Any other projects that people listening should be aware of? So later on this year, mm -hmm. <laughs> later on this year, I uh, because of the pandemic, it, it shut down the opportunity to world premiere a play that I've been working on for two years. It's called Bruhaha. And it is about a well-meaning but very accidental witch who really wants to hone in on her abilities to become a bruja, but doesn't really understand the responsibility and the meaning behind it. She is um, wanting to find out how she can combat social justice and wellness with the decolonized notion of, of uh, spiritual and um, uh, holistic healing. And so she wants to, she wants to, be a powerful witch and heal people but like at what point do you have to take your ego out of it so it's a it's a comedy and it's a full-length play it's my first full-length play that's an ensemble driven play it's it was going to premiere um in 2020 the pandemic said bitch wait and it's going to um be developed at urban theater company as a digital 
play release um, for the world premiere so that way people can view it safely and it will be in collaboration with the Destinos Festival, which highlights Latinx um, theater in Chicago and internationally. So very excited to always be with um, uh, Mina Salazar from Plata in the Destinos Festival, but this will be the first time a Puerto Rican playwright from Humboldt Park will be produced at Urban Theater Company in its 15th 15 years of existence legit oh congratulations that's awesome i appreciate it. i love some facts <laughs> that's a that's a real good one i'm gonna share that with everybody i talked to you see that <laughs> did you know <laughs> urban theater company doesn't produce locally and they're gonna be like i'll okay, just say dude. no just, okay you're gonna man, just be like gonna... melissa dupre is the first i yeah. melissa dupre is the first that's a cute aries tribute i'll take that one we're going to take a quick pause for the cause, pero no se muevan porque when we come back, Ambar and I are going to wrap up our discussion with Melissa and hear what she is most obsessed with and where she thinks is the best place to eat Puerto Rican food in Chicago. Stay with us. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based grassroots educational health and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. Uh, we try to ask our guests some listener questions. Sometimes they're directed to our guests. Sometimes we just kind of mm-hmm. carry them over because we think they're, they're kind of fun questions. Um, uh-huh. So, uh, Ambi, why don't you start us off? For sure. So, Melissa, this is about Puerto Rican food, Puerto Rican restaurant. Mm. I want to know what is your favorite restaurant in Chicago? And then although there's less Puerto Ricans in California, if you've found a restaurant that you really enjoy. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Be careful. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I got alliances over here to keep. <laughs> They're so listening. This, yeah, so... Um, Food, Puerto Rican food specifically, is near and dear to my heart. Um, Urban, uh, Roberto Perez Perez of Urban Pilon, um, uses a lot of my family's cookbook recipes to highlight. Emma Dupre the Sterling created the recipe Caldo Santo, and he just did a whole programming around her recipe. So, like, food is, uh, Puerto Rican food is really important to me. What a lot of people don't know is that my paternal grandfather was the original cook at um, Cafe Central, the first Puerto Rican 
restaurant in Chicago, the first established Puerto Rican restaurant. There was a lot of like little storefronts. This this one on Chicago is still like the original first Puerto Rican restaurant in Chicago. So um, my alliances come from like my gra- my grandfather was the first cook there. Um, food hasn't been the best since. So um, and then what's my what's my favorite Puerto Rican restaurant now? This is kind of hard to say because um, I am a fan of Casa Yari. I love Casa Yari. I love her. I love fusions. I love her mixes. A lot of her. A lot of her food is Colombian and Puerto Rican and Peruvian influenced. Um, however, I will say, like, if I had to get a fix. And I was on the road and I needed to get something fast. Hibaritos y Mas is my jam. You know, they're not even Puerto Rican owned. They're Venezuelan. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> That's I a hate recent it development too that we discovered, right? But I, I like knew Puerto that. Mm-hmm. I know that, but it's a Puerto Rican restaurant. But they're they like pique, like their hot mm-hmm. sauce is the best I've ever had. I don't know what they do to it, but it's so good. So I'm and I'm picky you. about my arroz con gandules. I make the best arroz con gandules and I'm picky about Ibaritos y Mas, like, hands down for me, has the better flavor all around. Like, some other shit is just better. Um, and I will go there and, like, even sit down for a little bit of it. Uh, we order lechon from there and it's always the bomb. Like, yeah, it, that in a, if, if people were coming into the city and they were like, to send me to a Puerto Rican restaurant, I'd probably send them there and then say, like, take it out, go eat at the park. Definitely. What do you do when you get a like a craving when you're in Los Angeles? So there's um there's a there's a restaurant here. It's it was also like one of the first established uh, Puerto Rican restaurants that started out of a garage, um, and it's called oh my god, it's called uh, Mofongos. Okay. It's called Mofongos, and um, it's known for Mofongos. Probably the best bacalaoitos I've ever had. However, the restaurant name and what they're known for, the mofongo was not that great. It was everything else that was literally so good. The mofongo to me was a little dry. Um, but they, when you go there, like they have cola champans, they have maltas, the tables are all like laminated, not laminated, they're like poxied with pictures of uh, famous Puerto Ricans, Puerto Rican athletes, actors. Um, you know, there's domino tables, there's salsa, like there, there are a lot of Puerto Ricans here. And apparently there's like pockets, there's salsa clubs. Um, I, f- I feel like I'm the only one that's jamming salsa through Laurel Canyon. <laughs> like, you know, I, I bring it wherever I go, but uh, a friend of mine took me to Mofongos and the food was legit. The food was legit. I was very impressed. I was super happy with what I ordered. We ordered like $60 worth of frituras, which is like, you know, that's excessive. <laughs> um, but it was good. It was good. I, I I know that there are spots here that I will enjoy. Speaking of Los Angeles, Hollywood, we uh, we got uh, a really cool little fun game. Uh, people on the mm-hmm. playground uh, may know this as uh, kiss, marry, kill, or another word in place of kiss. Um, fuck, marry, kill. Uh, but, uh, he had to say it. Had to he say had to it. say it. I couldn't help it. I'm a child. Um, That's already. I said so, dicks three times already. Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, cool. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that. Um, so, so for this, and he's like these kids. Yeah. 
the only adult in the room. Um, You're rich, truly, she is. <laughs> uh, so this Stop game is, is called. It's a variation. Uh, this game is called uh, Higher Understudy, Extra, or Fire. So the premise is you're going to have four actors on your roster to choose. Is this person going to be hired? They're going to be our star. Is they're just going to be the understudy. Are they going to be just an extra in the background or are we just going to write them off? Let's just fire them. They're not, we can't keep mm -hmm. them on the show anymore. So mm -hmm. your choices are Rita Moreno, Luis Guzman, Jennifer Lopez, Benicio del Toro. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who do you mm -hmm. hire full time? Who's the understudy? Who's the extra? And who do you fire? In my show, uh, Luis Guzman is the showrunner and the star. So I'm hiring Luis Guzman because he has proven to me to have a prolific career and he has incredible range. He could do comedy. He could do drama. He could do all Spanish. He could do um, thrillers. I mean, the man is talented and he just seems like a cool guy to drink with afterwards. I'm hiring him. Uh, and I'm going to make Benicio del Toro his understudy. Okay. All right. Why yeah. that? Why, why Benicio as the understudy? Because I just feel like uh, he could learn from him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he could he could learn from him. Um, Benicio de Toro, I think, you know, takes himself very seriously. So I would make him the understudy just to fuck mm -hmm. with his pride. Yeah, humble him. Humble him a little bit. Yeah, humble mm -hmm. him. Be like, mm -hmm. you can tap in it, as long as you're watching every single performance. And if Luis Guzman gets very, very sick. I dig it. Towards the end of the run. Um, I'm making Rita Moreno an extra because like, but I'm going to put her in every scene. So like making it like a, a Carmen San Diego find Waldo thing. Like the whole point of the show is to find where Rita Moreno is. And she'll be like in a shoe shining, sitting, reading a book and she'll just pop her head glasses out or she'll be in a restaurant sipping cafe in the back. So like she will be the cameo of every single show. You have to find her. And if you find her, you win a prize. And I'm firing Jennifer Lopez, obviously. <laughs> uh, you know, I threw Jennifer Lopez in there knowing that she most likely would be the one getting fired. Uh, <laughs> if we I, know if this. I would do the same thing, yeah. We ask all our guests what they're obsessed with. Um, mm -hmm. That can be related to Puerto Rican culture, unrelated. Um, we talked about movies and TV shows, but if there's like a particular movie, TV show that you're really into or comic books, hobby, whatever, like what, what are you obsessed with right now? Um... I'm obsessed with witch shit. Like I'm obsessed with, you know, I, I love good grief, good grief. Um, the Thursday therapy show lets me interview like other healers and wellness practitioners. I love me a good teen trick. I love me some Palo Santo. I love me some good crystals. I'm obsessed with like, just like a good herb medicine book. I'm obsessed with like natural everything, hair oils, makeup, um, natural uh, elixirs, uh, medicine. I'm obsessed with the decolonization of, of wellness. And most of that has to do with like um, using earth materials for 
magic. I, I'm obsessed with magic. I'm obsessed with tarot. I'm obsessed with divination. I'm obsessed with like meditation and um, espiritismo. I'm obsessed with my ile, my spiritual house, my godparents, my 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 baba. I'm obsessed with ritual. I, I have five tremendous altars in my home. I'm obsessed with keeping them clean and being of service to my ancestors. I'm obsessed with like ritual work and and um, doing that kind of healing that keeps me attached to moving forward because it, it keeps me alive. I could be dead. I literally could be dead. For anybody that, you know, listens to this podcast that wants to, uh, you know, follow you, keep up with you, see what the latest happenings in your life are. And what are some good ways that people can keep up with you? You got a website, you got social media, give us all the things. Well, if you want to follow my dog, his uh, <laughs> tag is yellow lab named Doug on Instagram. He's looking at me like, mom, I want to go out. Um, my latest escapades and, and, and what I'm doing in LA is always like me and my dog. Um, so you could also watch us on Instagram at Boom Boom Dupre uh, for all of our little LA and camping adventures. We're we're very adventurous, like the world is our oyster. Um, but Facebook is the best way to see like a lot of commentary. I've not moved to Twitter or TikTok because I don't know how, and I'm in that like weird generation that is like in between um, millennials and 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 X. So um, <laughs> uh, I have not yet like switched to Twitter and all that stuff. But most of my commentary um, is going to be on Facebook. So um, Melissa Dupre performer. Um, Melissa Dupre page and the Good Grief Project page on Facebook is where I go live with the Thursday therapy from the Twitch channel. So if you're on Twitch, look up Chicago for real. That's who hosts the Thursday therapy pages and interviews. Um, they're really kick ass programming. They're, they're Chicago based political comedy, um, holistic healing. All, everything, the arts, you name it, it's on the Chicago For Real Twitch page. So that's what I've been up to now. But of course, you can also catch me on Grey's Anatomy Thursday on ABC, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern. And um, I am definitely finishing the season. So I'm secured. Um, I'm secured all the way up until the end. And I'm so excited to be representing my Chicago family, which I love. I love my community so hard so much. Thank you all for your support. And thank you for continuing to support this work. Check out Brujaha later this year. Follow Urban Theater Company for more information on that. All right. Melissa Dupre, who is going to be getting an Instagram invite or Instagram follow from my dog's account, Vida de Baby Girl. Uh, we love soon, it! Uh, Dogstagram, here we go. Thank you for the time. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. That's our show for today, familia. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did or didn't, let us know. Podcast at gmail.com or at Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Stay tuned next week for an all-new episode of the podcast. As always, if you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone else for an interview, or share a news story you'd like us to discuss on the show, visit our website, baseomedia.org, to do just that. See you next week. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, Connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org, 
emailing us at baselpodcast at gmail.com and following us at Basil Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode and see you next week. Cuídate.